This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. About a month or two ago, I took my family to uh, the beach. We were really excited to get to go to the ocean. Uh, my kids were just thrilled. Uh, and Roman's favorite thing in the entire world was just to walk up and down the beach and collect shells. And he'd take his little blue bucket and he would, he would walk and he would find all these shells. And he was so proud of them. And he'd find one and he'd show us. And he would just be beaming and, and he'd just be, you know, look at this shell I found. The problem was the shells at the beach this time of the year were horrible. They were all busted and broken. There was creatures living in some of them. And uh, they were just dirty and nasty. And he would show us this shell and we'd kind of look at him like, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. But it wasn't at all. We were completely not telling the truth. And he would take these shells and he'd go back to the room and he'd wash them up in the sink, which was awesome, to find sand everywhere. And he'd, he'd lay them out on the table to dry. And, and every time somebody would pass, he would say, look, look at what I found. He was so proud of these dirty, nasty, broken shells. You know, God's the same way with you and I. Not that any of you are dirty, nasty, or broken in here today. But some of you are, there's no lie. A lot of times we feel like we've got to come to God and have it all together. We feel like we have to to present ourselves as if we're complete, we're whole. Uh, Especially when we come to church, we put on a mask and we say everything is in good shape. Because we feel like if we come to God in the true sense that we are, in the true way that we are, then maybe he'll be disappointed. We feel like maybe all these sins that we've committed, because we've all committed sin, we feel like maybe we can sort of hide them under under a mask or or under some kind of a cloak. And and God may not find out, because if he found out... He'd be really disappointed in who we are. The truth of the matter is that God knows exactly what you, who you are and what you've done. And he's still proud of you. And he still loves you and me too. And he loves us. And he loves us unconditionally. And we can't fathom why it is that God would love us unconditionally. In fact, most of us, including myself, probably don't even understand what unconditional love means. Because in our human minds, we're not able to grasp Unconditional love. It doesn't make sense to us because everything that we do and everything that we uh, love and hold dear has some kind of condition to it. So it doesn't even make sense how God can love us unconditionally. The only way that I can understand it and explain it is Imago Dei. You and I were created in God's image. And he loves us. Now, he wants us to be uh, more like him. and He desires for us to grow in him and to be uh, more Christ-like. But he loves us just the way that we are. He loves us unconditionally. In the Hebrew, the word image is translated as being shape, resemblance, figure, or shadow. We were created in God's resemblance. And his figure is shadow. Now, I've got two sons. Roman, my oldest, uh, who you, you saw briefly, uh, blonde hair, blue eyed, good looking kid, smart, funny, uh, just a, a real standout kid. And I have another son who's one who's also funny and a standout and a good kid, just in case he finds this podcast 10 years from now. I want him to know that his dad loved him greatly. We don't want to create problems later on. He's redheaded, pale skin, freckles across his nose. He's a good looking kid, looks just like me. No, I'm not lying. Anyone who sees Jude automatically associates him with me. They say, that's got to be David's son. There's no doubt. But you know, Roman's my biological son as well. I promise I was there. He's, both of them are my kids. Both of them are my kids. 
And though they don't both, both of them don't necessarily completely favor me physically, they both carry my genes. Roman, though he has blonde hair and blue eyes, I think he's got my sense of humor, which is pretty good, I think. I think he's, uh, he's really smart. That comes from me again, Margie's side, other stuff. <laughs> She's not in here. Both of these beautiful children are, have carry my DNA. You know, God could have created you and I in any other image. He could have. Think about it. What, how different would the creation story be if, when he got to the end, he said, I'm going to create man in the goat's image, and you and I would all be running around like goats, or I'm going to create man in, you know, something we haven't even heard of, maybe, a sea creature or something random. He created us in his own image. And I believe, personally, that encoded in our DNA... God has given us specific uh, attributes, specific things that allow us to stand out. And the closer we get to Christ and the more we begin to know him, the more we begin to uh, fall into what he desires for you and I. And so in, within who we are, I believe God's given us three specific, uh, three specific attributes, three specific things that set us apart from the world. Now, this isn't th- these aren't things that we may take pride in. We don't, you know, we're better than you because we're followers of Christ. That's not the case. But I believe that as followers of Christ, we do have distinct characteristics that allow us to stand out. And the first one is our purpose. I believe that God has given us a purpose. Now, if you've ever known someone who's purposeless, they may be living on your couch right now. They're purposeless. They have no vision uh, for their life. They, they wander around. And, and it's sad, but we find this is the case with a lot of people especially those who are not following Christ. They're purposeless. You can see it in their eyes. There's no vision for their life. There's no reason, real reason for existence. They work a job they hate to buy things they don't need, and they just exist, and they, they just uh, are being. And they go through day after day after day, and there's no purpose. But you and I, as followers of Christ, have been given a purpose. And it's not just a random purpose like your purpose is to you know, speak in front of a congregation. It's a divine purpose given to us directly from God Almighty. And I believe that when we begin to live more like Christ and follow, follow him closer, that purpose uh, for us begins to become more evident in our lives. Christians uh, were not called to survive history. This church, as great as it is, was not uh, built to survive history. You and I, our purpose is to serve the world around us. We've been called to serve humanity. We've been called to love the people that we come into contact with. And a lot of times we get our purpose confused with what the world has going on. And it's very easy to do uh, because the world is very enticing. And the things that it offers are very alluring. But God created you and I to serve the people around us and to love him and to grow in him. And in fact, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, businesses were creating uh, purpose statements. And, and maybe you were a part of a, a team creating purpose statements. And, and they would strategize. Men and women would sit, you know, at a, at a big, big table made of like maybe mahogany with a leather chair. And they would just flesh out every single word. And they purposed them all to try to figure out exactly how they wanted their company to be displayed to the people around them. And they would, they would craft these words that sounded fun and witty. And they would mash them all together and come up with a purpose statement. Well, we realize that doesn't really work for business as much anymore. But uh, our church has a purpose statement, and it's been a finely crafted set of really complicated words. We, we as a church, are here to know his love and to share his love. 
And that's it. And I believe that God's divine purpose for us is to know his love and to share it with the people around us. And sharing his love comes in all different uh, shapes and sizes. And when we begin to find out that God put us here to serve humanity, we find ourselves in a humbling position. I don't know if you've ever served uh, someone in need, but it's in a, you find yourself in a very humbling position to serve someone else. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last weekend, we did our Thanksgiving blessing here at the church. I think we gave out about 100 turkeys in about 22 minutes. I promise you, it took us longer to set up the tents that we served food under than it did to get rid of the turkeys, to move the turkeys. Because there are people all around us, even in Hendersonville, that are in need. And they're looking to you and I as followers of Christ to see what the church is going to do, to see what people who claim to be Christians are going to do. And a lot of us are sitting around going, I don't have any purpose in life, and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, and uh, I just don't know, you know, I'm a 40-some-year-old man. I'm not, but I'm saying maybe you are. You're a 40-some-year-old man, and you're sitting there like, I just, I want to fulfill God's purpose, but I don't know what it is. Your purpose is to serve humanity. And God created us all very unique and all very different. And we have distinct characteristics that when we begin to feel God's purpose in our lives, it comes across in unique and different ways. And I love that. Each and every one of us, we have our own world. I'm not advocating alternate universes, so don't get me wrong. But we all have our own little circle of people around us that God has called us to influence. And for me, it's a select group of friends and family. Uh, maybe for you, it's your work. Uh, maybe for you, it's uh, a restaurant that you frequent. I don't know, but we all have our own circle of influence. And God is calling each and every one of us to realize our purpose in life is to serve the people around us and to invest in people. Our goal cannot be to survive or thrive, but it has to be to serve. It has to be to serve. And when we realize that, we step into a newfound purpose. And it gives us a totally different outlook on what might be considered a mundane life. The second thing that I believe God has encoded upon our DNA as followers of him is our plan. I believe that God has given us a plan. Now, uh, I like Jeremiah it's, uh, 29, 11. I like to use it a lot. It's not on your screen, but if you want to jot it down and look at the full verse later. But Jeremiah 29, 11 basically just says, God has a plan for you, which is good to know. And his plan is to prosper you and to give you a future. God just doesn't have a random plan. It's a plan to prosper you and to give you a future. There's a lot of different definitions of of prosper. Immediately we think, man, I'm going to get rich off God. This is awesome. It doesn't necessarily always mean money. God has a plan for us to prosper in him. And as we begin to share our faith with the people around us, and we begin to, to live like Christ has called us to live, and as the world begins to see the passion for Christ that is on us, or should be on us, then we begin to... See God's plan unfold. And it's exciting when God's plan for your life begins to unfold. Now, I believe there's a few things that you and I need to do in order to see God's plan completely fulfilled within our lives. There's a scripture in 1 Peter, if you want to go ahead and turn there, and you can keep your finger in 1 Peter, because we're going to stay there for a second. There's a verse in in 1 Peter that I'm going to read for you that I believe... uh, maybe reinforces or backs up uh, what God's plan is for our life or maybe how we should fulfill that. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. How exciting is that right there? Always be prepared to give a reason 
When people ask you for the hope that you have. Now, as followers of Christ, there should be some characteristics that we hold. We should have some of the fruits of the Spirit. Hopefully we'll have them all. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all these things. And as we have those things, as we begin to possess those things, the world is going to get curious. They're going to start asking questions. They're going to say, you know, why do you have this hope in a time where everyone else is hopeless? How do you maintain a level of joy when everyone else seems to be a little depressed? And first, Peter reminds us that we need to be ready to give an answer. Now, you might argue with me, but I would, I would venture to say that our answer uh, probably can't be, well, I go to this really awesome church with uh, you know, a cool worship band and you know, it gives me hope. Now, our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And I believe in order to see uh, God's plan in our lives unfold, we first need to know what it is that we believe as followers of Christ. Statistics have been proving uh, in, in numerous, uh, numerous places that there's a trending problem with believers, followers of Christ, not knowing fundamentally what they believe. In fact, they go on to prove that a lot of people in other faiths and other religions know what it is that we believe a little bit more than some of us. This is a problem. See, it's not enough to to believe in Jesus Christ and follow him for what he can do for us. Though I'm a direct reflection of God's blessings upon my life. I don't follow Christ because of what he can give me. I don't follow Christ because of what he can do for me. I don't follow Christ because he's like a a strange safety net on the trapeze of life. Like maybe if some things fell apart, I would have God to catch me. We follow Christ because of a deep passion and a love for him. And we begin to explain this to the world. We begin to see why it is that we believe in Christ. Fundamentally, a lot of us just don't know what we believe, what separates us from from the rest of the world. When I was dating my wife... uh, I'm still dating my wife, by the way. Uh, when I was dating my wife uh, a long time ago, several years ago, uh, I would just sit on her front porch and we would just talk for hours and hours and hours and hours. And the next night, hours and hours. And we were just getting to know each other. We were just spending time together. I was learning about her. She was learning about me. Um, to this day, we still reflect on some of those conversations because they were meaningful. I feel like some of us, maybe we need to start trying to date God again. Not in like, you know, taking him out to dinner stuff, but we need to spend quality time with God Almighty. I would venture to say if, if we were to poll the room, nobody has time to take a theology class. Nobody has time to sit and read their Bible for hours and hours and hours. But you know, if I only talk to my wife once, twice a week, our relationship would be really sad. And a lot of times the only Bible that, that Christians get, that followers of Christ Get is within the context of like an hour service once a week. And we, that's not enough to know what it is that we believe in Christ. We can't just go to church once a week, log our time, and, and expect that to be alright. God wants us to, to dig in and explore Him even greater. And learn all of the many great things that, uh, that He has for us. And know exactly what it is that we believe. The second thing that I believe we need to do in order to see God's plan unfold is I believe that we need to know what other people believe. This probably feels like heresy to some, and I apologize. But I believe we need to learn a little bit about other religions. We don't need to go crazy, but we need to learn a little bit about other religions. It's okay to find out what someone else in your office building believes and to dig a little bit. 
I believe that learning about other religions does a couple of things. One, it causes us to be stronger in our faith. We need to know what separates Christianity from, say, Islam or from uh, Hinduism or Buddhism. We need to understand what separates us in an effort to strengthen our relationship with Christ. Two, I believe that it helps us uh, minister better to the people around us. I don't know if you recognize this, but we live in one of the most exciting times in history. Not only is our, our little globe here more populated than ever, but in our, uh, our postmodern society, we realize that the entire world's religions have converged right here in America. It's not hard to find someone of uh, a different faith. In fact, what we've realized is that not only will we find someone who's Hindu or, or Buddhist or Muslim or Sikh, and you can go all the way down the list, but we find that some people have three or four of those religions living within one person. Because in our postmodern society, we've meshed and we've blended and we've created completely new religions that don't even make sense. And even represented in, in, the, in the faith, in, in, in the body of Christ, we find that sometimes we adopt other religions or parts of other religions and we don't even recognize it. I was watching a movie with my family uh, over Thanksgiving and it was a kid's movie. It was based on a cartoon. It was like a live action deal and uh, we watched all of it. I got all the way through it, and I stopped at the end and, and thought back through the movie. And it was completely, overtly laced with Buddhism. And I was shocked. If we don't understand what, what Buddhists believe, we would never, re- we'd never catch that. And I believe that we have an entire world that's waiting for you and I to give them some answers, as First Peter said. And some of us don't have those answers to give. And I think it's a shame. I realize no one has a, no one's able to go and take you know classes in this, but I think that we can dig just a little bit and understand what other people believe. It can help us because, for example, if we encountered uh, a Hindu, we could we could witness to a Hindu, and they may accept Jesus Christ, and we would walk away feeling excited and fulfilled. But if you understand Hinduism, uh, they they have a lot of gods. It wouldn't be a real big deal. It would be, but it wouldn't be a huge deal for them to adopt. One more. But that's not what you and I believe. There's one true God. Uh, maybe you come across someone of the Baha'i faith. What we understand is that it's a very growing faith. What we understand is that they think everybody's going to go to heaven. It doesn't matter how you, how you get there. Everybody's going to make it. And that's a real alluring, uh, tempting theology for a lot of people because we understand God is a loving God and we want to embrace that aspect of him. But the truth is, according to our word, that not everybody's going to go to heaven. We need to understand what other people believe. also believe that we need to be able to defend our faith. Now, if you look at the latter part of that scripture in 1 Peter, it says, But do this with gentleness and respect. Two very, very key words that, by and large, we've forgotten uh, as a a Christian society, that we are to defend our faith. And by defending our faith, I don't mean, you know, like a defense type of a thing where we put up a guard and we get angry. Uh, Defense meaning we need to be able to explain what we believe to someone who doesn't agree. And I think that it's very important that we understand how to do that. I want to I want to just do a quick uh, a quick poll. This is just a quick game uh, that you'll enjoy. I think if you've got your bulletin and a pen, I want you just to write at the top of your bulletin uh, the word Islam. Simple enough. You'll look back one day and think, why did I write the word Islam on my bulletin? Uh, but I want you just to write the word Islam on your bulletin. If you don't have a bulletin, then maybe just reflect back, uh, you know, later on. Just maybe lock this in your mind. I'm gonna I want to ask you to rate yourself between one and ten. One's going to be the least. And 10 is going to be the most. I want you to ask yourself this question. 
How prepared would I be to defend my faith against a Muslim? Go ahead. One to four. One being, man, he's going to smoke me. I might even, you know, I might even convert myself to ten. He better watch out because he's going to heaven. One to ten. You, you decide. Just write it down in the corner. The next thing I want you to do is uh, I want you to write down, uh, it's going to be a little more complicated. I want you to write down uh, Baha'i, and you can spell that however you want. I'm not going to check, but there's some B's and A's and I's. So just write Baha'i. And I want you to ask yourself the same question. Between 1 and 10, how prepared would you be right now if you walked out here and you went to uh, lunch and you found someone and they asked you why you were so happy? You could tell them you were here and, and you heard us, and, but how would you defend your faith? Now, without looking at your paper, without uh, collecting or raising your hands or anything, uh, statistically, this room would have put, a uh, majority of us would have put a four or less. I don't know what you put, and I would venture to say there's some people in here that would be really prepared, or at least we feel like we would until we encounter this. But I think it's a shame, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that I would put a higher number, I'm not going to tell you what I would put, but I think it's a shame that as followers of Christ, that we're not able to defend our faith by and large because we don't know how to approach it. And I think it's important that we learn and that we walk in that because you and I, as followers of Christ, have distinct characteristics that separate us from the world. And it's time that we are able to share those with people around us in a gentle and respectful kind of way. The third attribute that I believe that God has encoded upon our DNA is our potential. So we have our purpose, we have our plan, and I believe God has given us potential. I believe God has given us potential. And if you look in First uh, Peter 2.9, it says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him, who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Through Christ Jesus, you're unstoppable. I want to say that again. Through Christ Jesus, you are unstoppable. God has encoded upon your life a divine plan. He's placed you here for this day and this time. In one of the most exciting points in history... You have been given not just purpose, not just a plan, but you have been given potential through Christ Jesus. And I believe that when we discover who we are in Christ and how God has individually designed you and I to contribute to his kingdom, I believe we become authentic. And I believe when we begin to realize that we were created in God's image, and when we begin to take off a mask and we stop playing uh, these fictitious roles, that I believe God gives us this unbelievable ability to be authentic. I don't know about you, but I would love to leave here feeling genuine and authentic. I would love leaving here embracing the way God made me. Now, I realize a lot of times we think, man, teenagers deal with self-worth issues Adults, we, we don't necessarily, we embrace who we are, but I would completely disagree with that line of thought. I believe that the enemy tangles you and I up, our thoughts up, 
in our self-worth and we, and we try to find value in, in things or in places or in stuff, we need to realize that God has made each and every one of us distinct. And he's made us all unique. And he's made us all in his image. And that's an exciting place to be. He could have created us in any other image, but he chose himself. And there are distinct characteristics that he's placed inside of you that separates you. And God wants to use you to reach the people around you. But a lot of times we get too consumed with our own problems and we get too consumed with our own stuff. And God wants to break us out of that. And he wants to shake us out of that and set us on a path towards success in him. You know, when I was growing up, it was a really big deal to share your faith with someone and then accept Christ. And I can remember people would keep a tally in their Bible or they would, they would keep track. And it was a really exciting thing to share your faith and have someone accept it. And I can remember the first person I witnessed to and they accepted Christ. And by and large, it's my fault. But I don't feel like as a culture we embrace that anymore. That we kind of feel like we're in Hendersonville. Everybody knows Christ. They're all either here or at another church. That's not the case. We have a world around us that's hurt, lost, and dying. And they're looking to you and I for authenticity. They're looking to you and I to serve and to love them. They're looking for you and I to take our eyes off of ourselves. And to begin to serve. And we need to know what we believe. And I think we need to care enough about the people around us. People that, if they were to die tomorrow, would spend eternity in hell. We need to care enough about them that we learn about their faith in an effort to help reach them. You and I, we've been given a purpose here. We're not just consumers. We're not here to suck air and, 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 and just live daily. We've been given a purpose, a divine purpose. And God wants to see us fulfill that. God wants to see us no longer be, being ashamed of who he made us to be. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes across the room. The truth of knowing who Christ has made us to be is freeing. It frees us to be authentic. And I believe maybe there's somebody in this room that says, you know what, David, I don't even believe in God. I don't even know him as my Lord and personal Savior. And I want to say to you this morning that you may not believe in God, but he believes in you. If you're in here this this morning and you've never asked Christ to come into your heart, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm not going to call you out. You're not going to have to do anything to isolate you. But if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, I want you just to raise your hand across the room. You can put it up and put it right back down. God's looking. No one else. If that's you, just put your hand up and write back down. I've never asked Christ to come into my heart. So in this room right now, we either have people who are followers of Christ, who've asked Jesus to come into their heart, and we're kind of working, working things out. Or we have people who have not quite figured out the direction they want to go. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to seek God. To go after Him. The Bible tells us if you, if you will take a step towards Him, He'll make Himself known. He's not trying to hide. He's not playing games. If you'll seek Him, then you'll find Him. For the rest of us, I believe we need to embrace who we are as followers of Christ.
The idea that God has created us in his image and his likeness. You and I are direct reflections of his creativity, his speech, his self-determination. Our entire self reflects who God is. Just as we sang a couple of times, and we'll sing again in just a second, God loves us. And I, and, I, and I believe firmly that, that there are several people in this room that need to accept that love. Several people that need to embrace who God has made us to be. So if you would, across the room, if you would just stand with me as quietly as possible. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.